Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we have been in the middle of this fantastic series where we look at pop culture and how it influences our faith. So the first half of this series was really positive examples of uh, books and a movie in the case of Casablanca that really formed positive connections with our faith journeys and with our relationships with God. Um, And now in the second half, we are looking at not so great positive connections that uh, pop culture will sometimes make. You know, they might be characters who are seriously flawed and you just kind of know watching, oh, that's who I should strive to not be Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, But even in those characters, we can learn something positive for our own faith journeys. So, Erica, who who and what movie or book are we talking about today? Well, we were talking about a movie, uh, specifically a Disney movie. And while I don't have kids like you all, I love Disney movies because, you know, it's Disney. Who doesn't (laughs) love Disney? (laughs) Because I'm a kid at heart, and I love The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's one of my favorite Disney movies. And as we've been working through the series, I've really been thinking about um, Frollo, who is uh, the protagonist in... in, Is that the right? Antagonist. See, I knew I, <laughs> I knew I had the wrong. He's one. some kind of agonist. <laughs> yeah, he's the antagonist in, in this film. Um, I'm not exactly sure because I've not read Victor Hugo's book or seen any other versions of this. Um, if he's like the mayor of Paris or something, he has something to do with he, the cathedral. He's a religious figure, isn't he? I'm, you haven't seen the movie, have you, Steve? No. It's it's not real clear exactly who he is, but what we do know is he he helps take care of the hunchback. And there's a, a song in particular, because it's a Disney movie, of course there's all kinds of songs, um, but there's a song uh, that Frollo sings, it's, it's right after the scene where um, the Feast of Fools has happened and Quasimodo's been ousted as the ugliest man in Paris, or the ugliest face in Paris, and they, they're throwing tomatoes and everything at him, and, and Esmeralda dances for Frollo, and this very seductive dance. Um, because, you know, it's Disney. Why not? <laughs> and so Frollo's up in his room, imagine in the cathedral, and he's singing this song basically of confession. Um, and it's called Hellfire. And he, he's talking in the song, there's some lines that go, Of my virtue I am justly proud. I am so much more pure than the common, vulgar, weak, licentious crowd. Um, and, and then he goes on and he's, because he can't get Esmeralda out of his mind. He can't get this beautiful woman out of his head. But he's supposed to be this pure, you know, religious, you know, political figure. And he's not supposed to be thinking this way. And he says, it's not my fault. I'm not to blame. It's, a, it's Esmeralda's fault that she danced in front of him so provocatively. And then there's, there's this one line I love um, because the theology is so bad in it. If in God's plan he made the devil so much stronger than a man... You know, he, he, he's basically blaming God uh-huh. for his fault, for his mm-hmm. lust and his his thinking. And then eventually he ends this on saying, "Choose me." Speaking about Esmeralda, choose me or your pyre. Be mine or you will burn. Like he's determined. He's going to get this woman and he's going to burn her for witchcraft and for being a gypsy and all these other things. But the whole, like throughout the song, there's just this idea of 
the legalism. Mm-hmm. I, I see Jesus and, and the tax collector story in here, okay. right? He's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm so much better than all these folks, and why, you know, if I'm such a pure and righteous soul, then why am I thinking this way? There's a, you know, the devil made me do it kind of idea mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so much, uh, I, I caught it on, on TV a few weeks ago, and I happened to listen to this song again, I'm like, there's so much, like, bad theology mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting how, you know, you hear this, and for those that aren't, you know, theologically minded, they're watching this, and they're like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> right, hey, right, they've right. done that, yeah, right. the devil made me do it, you know, why... I'm, I'm a good person. Right. You know, like Hillary Fay that we talked about in our last episode. You know, I'm a good person. I'm doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying, because Frollo's whole point is to rid Paris of the gypsies who he sees are evil and causing so much, you know, chaos uh, and everything. And because he's righteous and he's the good guy. And and, and I did just look him up. Frollo, Frollo is an archdeacon. Okay. So he is part of this religious hierarchy and um, since it is Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. he has vowed certain vows of chastity. Mm-hmm. So this uh, being tempted by lust by the beautiful Esmeralda mm-hmm. is certainly so, thing that is something that's like off limits. For so him. there's yeah. there's layers upon layers. It's not just that yeah. she's this foreign uh, person who he's made into the enemy because she's a gypsy, but on top of that, he's made the vows that he can't ever have relationships with. I mean, so there's all kinds of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they kind of mix, because it's Disney, they don't keep strictly to... Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I've never read the book, I've not seen any of the movies, so thank you for that, Sarah. But yeah, it's just, this character, I see myself in Frollo sometimes, you know, like... I should be better than this. I, mm. I should be a better person. Uh, not just because I'm a Christian, but also I think being a pastor, sometimes I put that on myself. Like, I should pray more. I should be in scripture more. I should love people better. I should, you know. Um, and so he's, he's just a really interesting character. And he never seems to get out of this mindset. He's a very legalistic <laughs> rule follower. And that's how that's how he is throughout this whole movie. He never seems to change. Unlike, you know, Hillary Cray that we talked about last week. Towards the end, we, we see like, this glimpse of there's a possibility for yeah. change. There, there's hope. There's uh, hope there, for there's, change. There's less hope for Frollo, I yeah. think. Yeah, Frollo, at least in this movie, ends up dying. He, yeah, there, he definitely seems to be trapped in this system that I think is portrayed quite often for Roman Catholic priests and monkey, monks and basically pe- religious mm-hmm. professionals. Mm-hmm of that expectation of you are a moral example in our community, Mm -hmm. therefore you are held to a higher standard. And I think that's something that we as religious professionals today can also sometimes be trapped in Mm -hmm. because we um, are sometimes held at a higher standard. Mm -hmm. I know that for um, the Lutheran denomination, for the ELCA, we have an entire document called Visions and Expectations, mm-hmm. which is laying out, word for word, what higher standard we are being held to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you don't follow that higher standard calling, if you mm-hmm. do fall short, there may be consequences. Mm-hmm. We have something similar. There's a paragraph within our Book of Discipline that lays out, like, the the role of a pastor, and while I haven't read it recently, I'm sure that has some of those standards in that particular paragraph plus in other places, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, if you don't live up to those standards, and and, in my denomination, you can be charged and and 
it's very much like a, a civil trial, <gasps> except it's in the church. And there's a piece of me that, like, I, I can get both sides of that. On the one hand, I feel like the 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 role of being a, a leader in any circumstance, whether it's a you know a, a local civic leader, the mayor of your town, or school board, or you know a pastor, like there's a sense in which because of the nature of that role, people look to you as an example. And if there's other stuff that gets in the way, it prevents the organization from functioning the way it's supposed to. I remember an old line I read when I was in seminary about that Christians are supposed to cause the right kind of scandal. And if we're, you know, busy, you know, getting people hung up on whatever our, you know, if, if, if I'm, um, uh, drop down drunk all the time, people won't be able to hear me preach because, you know, I'm drunk. <laughs> like they're, they're, I'll get it. That, that gets yeah. in the way. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, that can get turned into like that we aren't able to model for people how to fail well. And I, I think maybe that's a, a piece of it is that it, it shouldn't be that um, leaders of whatever stripe, whether you're an archdeacon in a novel or a Disney movie or a pastor in, in uh, 21st century America, um, that we ought to be able to, to model not only here's us doing our best, but also when we mess up, we're called to be models of people are like, hey, this is going to sound weird, but kind of Lutheran, like how to sin well. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, when I've messed up, the right way to deal with it is how can I own it and seek forgiveness and make amends and reparations where appropriate and own it and then start over again, trusting that I'm forgiven and be able to start over again, rather than the the Frollo model, which is uh, part one, don't uh, deny it, it's there. Part two, find someone else to blame. And then three, make the person that you blame into the enemy uh, or the other or the real problem. And nobody will pay attention to your struggle as long as they're you know out getting the bad person. I think there's also the potential of not being able to seek help when you need it. Yeah. Um, Because every once in a while I hear in the news um, such and such pastor or bishop Mm -hmm. um, being involved in a car accident because of drunk driving. Mm -hmm. Where the pastor slash or bishop is the one who was drunk driving. And, you know, that is likely because that person has an alcohol problem. But didn't feel like it was safe to seek help. So instead was trying to deal with it on his or her own. Was burying it deep inside. And that of course is not going to actually solve your alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. That just means that you're going to be deeper in the closet drinking by yourself. And I think that there, you know, in Frollo's case, if he had had a good support system... If he had had the ability to actually confess to an actual person instead of just in his room by himself, Mm -hmm. would he have taken such drastic steps in harming Esmeralda or whomever? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Because he would have had people he could have talked to who could have supported him, who could have said, yeah, I sometimes have a real difficulty in these vows of chastity as well. Let's talk about ways that we could potentially solve this issue or good coping mechanisms or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes being held to a higher standard, which I think is sometimes good. Right. But at the same time, sometimes makes it really hard to seek help when we do need it. Right. And even when we know that we need it, sometimes our our people will will put us on such pedestals that when we go and seek out that help, then they think lower of us mm-hmm. because we went and sought it out. Like I have shared with my folks that I, I have seen counselors at different points in my life and um, see one on and off now since I've moved here about different things. And, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I'm trying to break that stigma of, of mental health and, and, and mental health issues and things. Uh, I've never been clinically diagnosed with anything, 
But there have been times in my life where I just, I need to seek a professional. And so Mm -hmm. I go and do so. But unfortunately in our culture, um, whether it's a drinking problem or a mental health disorder or something like that, or being suicidal, because I've heard pastors, you know, committing suicide because they've not had somebody to reach out to. Um, it, it's still a big stigma in our culture. We mm-hmm. don't we don't like to talk about it because we can't easy, we can't just say, well, do this and it will fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not oh, you just need to pray more, you need <laughs> right. to believe more. Oh my gosh, please! So help me if somebody ever says that to me. Because um, that's not it. I mean, I know good, faithful Christians who deal with mental health issues who have been praying for years that God would take this away. And for whatever reason, he's chosen not to. And that's okay. You know, that doesn't mean they're any less of a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me the the way, and I, I, we kind of talked about this uh, in our last episode, about how an initial problem or or failing gets worse when it gets covered up mm-hmm. or scapegoated or something like that. And that was certainly the case with Hillary Fay's character in Saved, uh, that like she's got to put up this sort of front of being the religious, right religious person and not mm-hmm. sort of own up mm-hmm. you know, all, all whatever stuff she's dealing with. But it sounds like Frollo too, like that if, he's, if he is struggling with what he sees as temptation with Esmeralda, that's one thing that can be said and named, okay, deal with it. And like you say, okay, how do I deal with that the next time it, it rolls around? But the move to blame her as like, you know, the problem is she's the one who's the problem. Um, it reminds me, I, I, I've been um, following over the last couple of months uh, a number of folks on social media who make this observation especially when it comes to um, the way uh, women are treated in sexual assault and sexual harassment in all sorts of places in our society, that Jesus doesn't say, um, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, blame the woman who's so, you know, uh, dressed in such a way. You know, like, no, you got to own your, your own stuff. So Jesus says, you know, if you find yourself uh, inappropriately attracted to somebody or something like that, you got to deal with your own stuff. It's not, you know, well, she was wearing this outfit or she said that. No, no, you own your own stuff. Um, and that so often... Especially when people are in positions of power, like Frollo is, mm-hmm. um, you you use that power in such a way to make somebody else the villain or the bad guy, and that they're the problem. And is well, they if they wouldn't address that way or talk that way or done this, um, then I wouldn't have been. And no, if you're the one in power, you got to own. You got and maybe that's a piece of why. This, the the idea of a, a higher standard for, for pastors, there's something important about that because even if we don't like to acknowledge it, we in our role have a certain kind of power just because of this office. There's maybe mm-hmm. more power that's heaped on, especially if you have an elected office in the, the life of the church or if you are um, have other titles or whatever. And to be certain, there's also additional structures like that uh, men are, are given sort of Without without saying without being official, like a certain kind of power that women aren't aren't uh, afforded as well. But there's 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 power imbalances there all the time, and uh, that means that we have to be especially wary or aware of how we use that and, or or don't misuse that power. So again, I, I get the idea of there are boundaries that uh, it's not about you got to be uh, you know walk six inches off the ground uh, when when you go places. But there's this we got to be especially aware of the way power gets misused. And Frollo seems to be a, a powerful case study of why mm-hmm. um it's interesting to me too the the impulse in the, the line you quoted um or the, the the way he sort of makes the the real villain uh the the gypsies in in the story and again i don't know how much of this is in victor hugo or this is disney's uh, decided to make this a theme or not but like how often that's a, a pattern in 
I mean, in all of human history, but in 2,000 years of Christendom, is how easy it is, instead of us dealing with our own stuff, to make somebody else the, the bad guy, the, the, the villain. And if I can make somebody else the scapegoat, um, and we can all decide that they're the problem, then nobody's going to come around looking at my issues mm-hmm. or anything. Um, and that's, that, I mean, that hits close to them, because, man, we always struggle with, uh, you know, the ways throughout history that people, good Christian people, supposedly good church-going folks, uh, identify who the real problem is, and once you've made them the enemy, I don't have to look. And and for that matter, once you've decided that you're right, anybody who tries to stop you must be evil. I mean, and like instead, like wait, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, that that's a difficult admission for anybody. Or maybe I'm right in some things, but I should also not assume that I can kill or get rid of or you know uh, vanquish the people who are who are different from me. There there seems to be so many ways we struggle with that, and as 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 part of a religion that has had that kind of force and dominance for a long, long time in lots of places. Are there other things that you want to call our attention to, uh, Erica, things that, that uh, I guess, leap out at you or that speak to us who are not cartoon characters <laughs> singing songs? Um, not really. Like I said, for me, it's just, you know, this, I don't know, this selfish, this self-centered kind of... Um, the legalism of furlough and how, you know, legalism so often just turns us to do exactly what you're just talking about, where we blame everybody else so that we don't have to look on ourselves. Hmm. Um, because we make ourselves being legalistic, well, you know, we've done our checklist. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing my checklist, you know, then it has to be somebody else's fault because I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. that's wrong. You know, I'm doing everything right and yet. Now I have this this woman in Frollo's case. I have this woman like tempting me. Um, you know, his, his mindset is like, okay, if I am as, this righteous person, I think I am. Then why why is why is this happening to me? And mm-hmm. sometimes we we tend to do that when we um, you know as religious folks we tend to like, well again I'm better because I don't sin in this particular way. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he sees her as a sinner, whether just because she's a gypsy, and so she's different culturally and ethnically. Um, he sees her as, you know, a, a thief, because that was the culture of, of the gypsies then. You know, he sees her as maybe even a harlot, <laughs> you know, the way... He, Frollo certainly does seem to have this odd relationship with the gypsies. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, because he very much is spreading... He wants them all gone. Yeah, he's, he's actively spreading propaganda against them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, there is this moment in the movie where he does seem to have a redemptive moment. Um, I'm thinking, particularly at the beginning of the movie, he is helping to chase down this gypsy woman because she is carrying a bundle and he and the guards are absolutely convinced that she stole whatever is in the bundle. And in the act of her trying to get to the church to claim sanctuary, mm-hmm. she is pushed and falls down and dies. And so Frollo looks at the bundle to see what did this woman steal. She's a gypsy. Of course it's stolen. Mm-hmm. And it's a baby. And it is a quite hideous baby. Spoiler alert, it's Quasimodo. <laughs> <laughs> and he is thinking about putting this baby out of its misery because it's a gypsy it is um it's deformed. it's deformed and the priest or the monk whoever is happens to be there is all like deacon Frollo, like let's rethink this this is an innocent child don't do this 
And so Frollo gives this monk, this baby, mm -hmm. and says, okay, you raise him, you take care of him, he's your responsibility now. But yet, something about whatever happened in that moment, whatever guilt he feels about the role he played in the death of this baby's mother, keeps him in the life of Quasimodo. He mm -hmm. seems to be somewhat active in making sure that he has the things that he needs. He uh, comes and visits Quasimodo in his seclusion, which he might be also responsible for. <laughs> and as well as knows that Quasimodo has this hobby of woodworking this model of the church and like the town and he brings him pieces of wood to carve into mm -hmm. the people that he sees so he does seem to see himself as responsible and is trying to seems like he's trying to make amends for the sins that he has done against Quasimodo hmm. is he actually trying to make amends though or is that just that guilt and shame again coming up in you know because he got caught trying to Killed his baby. Or both. I, I don't I, mean, I don't know it, it, if it necessarily can be divided. I think it's kind of both of those things. That's an interesting point, that there are sometimes relations in our lives that are both seem loving and also are terribly dysfunctional at the same time, mm -hmm. where we are trying to be a helpful present, but at the very same time are enabling something that is that is terrible <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, because I don't think he's necessarily a good influence on Quasimodo's right. life, because he seems to be why Quasimodo is up in the bell tower and can't right. see anybody except for right. Frollo and I think the one monk yeah. who raised him, which is also why Quasimodo, at least in this movie, has imaginary friends in the gargoyles. Sure. That's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Disney, so it's right. okay. And, and, and they kind of come to life in the Disney movie to kind of help mask for the children that this is a very unhealthy thing. That really, Quasimodo does need to be around actual people, you guys. Like, it, it, yeah. It reminds me too of the way um, you you hear sometimes in, in stories where someone has uh, abducted somebody and like holds them, you know, captive mm -hmm. for however long. You know, whenever it's the kind of circumstance, mm -hmm. the, the, there's this weird like. Um, I cared for them, I provided for them, and yet also you're clearly messing this person up. Mm -hmm. And that in the in the captor's mind, in the person who's done the kidnapping, like, oh, this I did all this out of love and care, and look, I was helping. And at the same time, you don't realize that you're also terribly, you know, scarring this person for life. And how often we do terrible things when we are convinced we're doing something good. Um, I mean, I think that's one of, one of those really important points in this this thread. It's certainly not unique to this movie or story either, but how often in human history we do the worst when we're convinced, when we've convinced ourselves what we're doing is good and righteous or that we're on the right side mm. when it turns out we're actually doing something terrible. And I think that's where Frollo goes. Yeah. Because, I mean, in an effort to capture all the gypsies, he eventually, at the end of the movie, sets the entirety of Paris on fire. I mean, they attack Notre Dame mm -hmm. to get in there because Esmeralda and this soldier have escaped and now they've come back to, to claim sanctuary. I mean, he's attacking the thing that Paris is known for outside sure. of the Eiffel Tower. You know, and at this time, there, there, is, no, there, yeah. there is no Eiffel Tower. But I mean, in today's culture, we know for both. But uh, and and just you know, recently with the fire at Notre Dame and seeing how much. You know, that meant to the people just in the, in the last couple of months, you know, to, to think at this time period, Notre Dame is Paris. And he ends up attacking that and burning the whole city just for this one person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
It, I'm, I'm reminded of two biblical scenes um, as we've been talking about this character. And one is the relatively well-known parable Jesus tells um, about the Pharisee and the tax collector mm-hmm. pr- you know, praying. And the, the, the prayer of the Pharisee uh, is, you know, thank you, God, that I'm so great and you know, I do all these good things. And he even in the course of the prayer looks down at the tax collector and says, I'm not like that guy. I'm so mm-hmm. good. I'm not like that guy. And the prayer of the tax collector is just simply, Lord, be merciful to me a sinner um and jesus punchline at the end of that is the one who goes unjustified is his word as the tax collector i mean the one who like yep i've messed up and and to get how many ways if you're the tax collector you are trapped in a system i mean like you're that's your job and what else do you do to make money is you do this thing that involves cheating and extorting and conspiring with the romans you don't know how not to be that um and and you still need to eat so what are you going to do for your life that, that, that here's this person who and it's it, interesting like at the end of the prayer he doesn't say i realize that being a tax collector is a, a tax collector is a terrible thing i repent of it and i will stop being that it's he's stuck in this and i don't know how not to be this god but have mercy on me and that jesus says that person even though it's not uh, that God says, well, five years from then, uh, the tax collector quit that and started a nonprofit and became a, no, like while he is uh, actively, con- mm-hmm. you know, part of that that uh, wicked lifestyle of being a tax collector, he's justified and the Pharisee isn't. And the other story that comes to mind is slightly less well known and certainly was never in a flannel board story in Sunday school when I was a kid, but it's Judah and Tamar. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, so like, so. The short version there for people who don't immediately know, but like, so there's a, there's a scene where Judah uh, doesn't want to offer his daughter-in-law one of his other children, which would have been like the rule for a leveret marriage. If, you're, mm-hmm. if your spouse dies, you, then the brother's supposed to fill in so that they can raise other children and keep the family line alive, all that. That's weird to us. That's this conversation for another day. Um, and so uh, she is convinced that she still wants to have a child, to, again, to provide for herself and her need and continue, that kind of thing. So she uh, basically... Uh, fools him into thinking she's a prostitute. He gladly takes up her services when he thinks she's a prostitute. And uh, when he wants to leave without paying for those services, she insists on getting his uh, signet ring and his staff as sort of a pledge that he'll eventually pay. And it turns out she gets pregnant from that. And he's about to, to throw her out of, the, out of the family for the scandal. She's pregnant. My goodness. What, you know, what, what a scandalous thing. And then uh, she con- he confronts her and says, well, who's the father? Uh, who, how, how'd you get pregnant? And and she produces the signet ring and is like, you did, Buster. Um, it reminds me, again, not to go back to that lo- that scene from Casablanca, but like when, when uh, the police officer shuts down the Rick's Cafe and he goes, I'm scandalized, I'm outraged to find out there was gambling going on here. And the guy comes up to him and says, here's your winning, sir. Um, like the, there's so much of that just plain old hypocrisy. And if you're the person in power you can perpetuate that and you can rail on somebody else because they don't have the power to, to expose you. Uh, and so Judah does it when it's, when it's the, the power imbalance of him being basically the, the man and the head of the family and she's uh, sort of left to fend for herself in that, in that situation. But how many, many times in human history, I mean, religious life too, uh, we we play that game of I've got the power so I can expose or I can call out somebody else uh, and feel righteous about doing it. And meanwhile, I'm part of making that system continue. So that's, I'm sorry, that's just what came to my mind. <laughs> no, that's exactly what Frollo does with both Quasimodo and Esmeralda. He, he takes his religious power to keep Quasi locked up in the towers, mm-hmm. in, in the bells, and keeps him away from society. And then he uses that to try to 
read Paris of All the Gypsies, which, again, it's a Disney movie. I've not read the novel, but, you know, it seems like the townspeople, at least on the day of the Feast of Fools, they enjoy the gypsies. <laughs> They're fun, you know. The rest of the time, I don't know. It's Disney. Right, They right, don't give right. you that kind of backstory. Right. <laughs> it, it seems to me one of the things that we are running up against as a recurring theme on this, like, dark side of our pop culture and faith series is the recurring challenge of dealing with hypocrisy among us as the people mm-hmm. of God and also the danger that when you have power or positions of authority or privilege and the way that makes it much more easy to uh, want to cover up your mess-ups rather than own them. Mm-hmm. And that it seems like the if there's an antidote, how do we avoid that or how do we correct against that or live differently, that somehow practicing vulnerability and mutual accountability is a really important piece of it. And I think also throughout this movie, and I think we've briefly touched on it but without actually naming it, is that there's also the danger of labeling groups of people as other exactly mm-hmm. because yeah. uh the gypsies in this movie are the ones who are being labeled as other mm-hmm. and yet they go to the church to seek sanctuary they go to the church to pray mm-hmm. they are good and faithful christian people and yet they're being labeled as other yeah. and i think that that is a danger in our own society um you know the three of us are americans so we see that in propaganda that we hear frequently from our politicians of the other being those south of the border right the dean yeah and and you know likewise we don't have the what the feast of the fools or whatever Mm -hmm. that paris had with the gypsies but we certainly have cinco de mayo Mm -hmm. where we gladly eat mexican right appropriate things (laughs) when it's safe and then right right mm -hmm. and but then the next day go back to Believing the propaganda of these people the are other and they are lazy and dirty or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. we have in our mind about what mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. people right, look right, right. like. Right. But I think, you know, there's a warning in that for us, too. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's scary how many times in history, in the last 2,000 years, how when... Christians have been wedded to the way power is meted out or uh, power uses the, baptizes itself with, you know, Christian trappings, how easily we get drawn into that. I mean, it's it's the same pattern that was uh, Jews at the Reichstag, you know, uh, that began the the, the, the Nazi program. Um, it, it, I mean, there, there are countless examples of ways we've done this same pattern over and over mm-hmm. again. And the, I guess the thing that sickens me is how often... We say never again, and we know we've learned our lesson this time. And nope, we just we find different people to make into the villains, um, and uh, we think, well, it's different because these people really are villains. Whereas before, oh, we all know better. And, mm-hmm. No, and, and that was part, like when I think about like what happened at the Reichstag, like the the accusation was it was Jewish people who'd set the fire, and therefore were justified in making them the other. I mean, in, in in a similar way, if you can find reasons to say why the gypsies are the bad people, well, oh, now we're justified. That that's not. That's not bigotry. That's not hate. That's that's they're criminals. They're bad people. That's why we want to get them. It's not because they're other. It's because they're they're wrongdoers. They're evildoers. And man, how easily we take we, we look for any kind of justification to turn other into uh, the the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the I think Jesus' life and witness sort of like is is spent doing the opposite, making the other the hero so often too. I mean, like I think that's part of the radical power of. A story like the Good Samaritan—that it's not just in the end you should be nice even to 
people who are different, but that the other, the one who is the foreigner, the stranger, the person with the wrong religion and wrong politics, is the hero. Is the, you know, it, It's not the Samaritan falls by to the side of the road and good Jewish hero has to save the Samaritan. It's can you let yourself be rescued by somebody you consider to be unacceptable or not loved by God or whatever. And that, that's radical. You mentioned how Esmeralda and the Gypsies are the good Christians in this film. It, that is probably my favorite song of the entire film is the one that she sings. Oh, yeah, it's God beautiful. Help the um, God help the outcast because she gets it. She gets it. God and Jesus are all about the least, the last, and the lost. And in the background of that scene, you've got all these good, you know, faithful Catholics that are praying for themselves and what they want and what they need, uh, or at least they think they need. And then you've got her singing about, but I thought God was here to help me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. help the outcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, two great songs. Two great songs. <laughs> Love both. Well, um, we, we've run out of time again today, but uh, so just for folks who are wanting to follow it or check it out on whatever their local streaming video services or their VHS dusty bin of collected videos somewhere, Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney version, yes. uh, 1996 is the year it came out, um, and uh, watch it and prepare to have your faith poked out a little bit, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, buddy. Thanks, man. Bye. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.